spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. We're not on the slopes or in the half pipe, but every week we give you our nerdy version of Big Air. It's episode 201 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, coming off of our landmark 200th episode. Thank you so much for making that one of our most successful episodes ever. Can't thank you enough for joining the show every week. And if you're new to the show after the 200th episode, hey, welcome. Always have something great for you every week. As a matter of fact, this week, for the last time, we're going to head back to DC and DC 2018. I know it was a while back, but hey, I realized that you hadn't heard from all the great writers that we talked to and artists while I was there. So, I mean, you're going to hear from Tom King. Yeah, he's been on the show a couple of times. Love Tom. Going to hear more from him. Also, Mitch Garrett, who works on Mr. Miracle with Tom. And then you've got Marguerite Bennett and Vida Ayala and so many more. Julian, Sean, and Benson. We'll hear more from them coming up on this week's show as well. And speaking of comics, you know what's next. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hi, this is Hope Nicholson, comics historian, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Grab the laptop, the tablet, or pull out the long box, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading. And another DC New Age of Heroes book that we're going to do this week is Sideways Number 1. Storytellers this time are Dan DiDio and Kenneth Rocafort, who's also handling art duties, by the way. Dan DiDio teams up with Justin Jordan doing the dialogue. Daniel Brown on the colors. And Carlos M. Menegual with the letters. Now, I know this is the second Justin Jordan book this week that I'm reviewing didn't do that on purpose at all, but they've, you know, they've both had their good points. So let's just drop right into the story, shall we? It's about a, a I never would know it's a young man or a man boy. I mean, he's in high school. His name, name is Derek. He has powers that he actually got from the result of what happened in Dark Knight's Metal, you know, the mountain coming up in the middle of Gotham. And he actually fell through one of the cracks, and it seems like that's how he got his powers. So, I mean, if you haven't read Dark Knight's Metal, that's what you're missing out on. Now, the the powers that he has, and this isn't really a spoiler. I know I try to do spoiler-free, but I'll just tell you about his powers quickly. He can basically open up rifts and transport himself basically anywhere. It's almost like Jumper, but that movie Jumper, but ten times cooler than that. And then he also happens to have super strength and maybe even some powers that he doesn't know about yet. That's the beauty part about this. And other than that, he's kind of a typical high school student. I mean, he has an adopted family. He has, you don't really know if it's a girlfriend or just a friend that has a twin sister. And his classmates think he's weird and a little bit of an outcast because of what happened to him in Gotham. And, you know, they kind of make fun of him for it, which really sucks. But, you know, that's, you know, it's almost like welcome to high school, right? Being the outsider. So, but what we also get to see is someone using their powers for the first time and wanting to, and, you know, being basically a teenager with powers. And and it's a little bit different from the vibe you get in like a Teen Titans book. This is very much a raw, green is the best term I can think of it, someone with their powers. And then you see how he's using them. And, you know, ultimately, if you don't know what to do with your powers, things tend to pop up that you don't quite expect. And that actually happens in this book, again, I'm not going to spoil what that is for you, but basically this first issue was very much setting the groundwork of who Derek is, 
what his family is like and things like that. I'm going to tell you right now, and, and maybe this is me blowing this way out there, but for some reason, I got a very Spider-Man vibe, like really early Spider-Man when I read this. And maybe you think I'm nuts. Maybe you think that's putting it a little bit too high, but that was just kind of the vibe that I got. Derek gave me a very Peter Parker-esque vibe, and then Sideways, although the powers are totally different, gave me a very Spider-Man vibe. And I know the origins were different. It was just that feeling that I got while I was reading this. So my gut tells me that this is a character that I'm really, really going to enjoy. And we might see a first villain, if you want to call it that, at the end of this book. And you don't really know where this is going to go because it's very much an introduction. You get inside Derek's head. You get inside his family's head a little bit. You see how he has like like uh, the, the person behind the curtain kind of thing that helps him out. So you're, you're laying the groundwork, which is what this book should do and what the other new age of DC heroes has done as well, is given us, here's the character that we have for you guys. Going to put it out there and see what you think, and then in issue two, we'll really get going. And so far, especially here, I've really liked these characters right off the bat. And i got to say that Kenneth Roca, Rocafort, who I am not familiar with a lot of his work, wow. The art in this book is so beautiful, guys. I mean, that was one of the reasons I was turning the page so easily was that the art was so great. And in a book like this, it really lends itself to that. And no detail was left unturned. Like one of the uh, one of the friends of Derek's, her room, and you just look at your you're looking at her room and all of the things that are in there. And as a nerd, you'll fully appreciate it. Let me tell you that. That's another thing I won't spoil for you. And there's just no detail that's left unturned. And then when you do get like a flashback to metal and all the great artists that are working on that book, there's no drop off. There's absolutely no drop off. You feel like you're right back there when you're reading it before. But this book has such a different tenor to it. There's life in this book. And I love that. And another home run as far as I'm concerned with DC and the new age of heroes. And can I just say, This isn't an easy thing that DC is doing. And this is me being completely 100% honest here. When you create a new character, especially as a major publisher, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be something that people are just going to automatically grasp onto. This takes a lot of thought and time. And it just seems like with these last, with these few characters that they've introduced already, DC is almost doing this flawlessly. And to be able to create, create new characters like this, I don't know how you guys are feeling about it. But to be able to create characters like this that seem like they could really have a lasting impact on the publishing line, I mean, you're just expanding your catalog more than you already have. And this is a rich catalog that DC had already. So bravo to them for another home run. In case you couldn't tell, this is another pull for me. Wonderful job with Sideways, number one. Speaking of things going sideways, though, Aftershock Comics has a brand new book out as well called Cold War Number 1 with writer Christopher Sabella and Hayden Sherman doing the art and the lettering, also both co-creators of the book, by the way. And I'm just going to say this right away. You wanted to, I was not sure about this book as I was reading it. It was a little all over the place. You know, you weren't sure really, really who, what was going on. You weren't sure, really sure who was who at times, but and, and but hold with me on this just for a second. I'll tell you what it's about. First of all, there's cryonics involved here. There's a group that wakes up 500 years in the future, and they actually paid to be frozen and woken up at a later date. Now, when they do wake up, 
they're thrown into it, and maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler, so I'll put this out there as maybe a spoiler alert here. They are woken up in basically what is what amounts to an all-out war, and whether you're ready for it or not, hey, you're getting ready to go into battle kind of thing. And I said I wasn't sure about this book as I was reading it before, but after I was done reading it, and I was typing out my notes for the book, I realized that this comic, and I don't know if this is what Sabella was going for, but if he was, he nailed it 100%. This comic almost makes you feel like you're in it, like you're on that ship, because you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on, you're just being thrown into this, and literally thrown into battle. These people, I mean, you're talking about people that are like veterinarians and stuff like that. I think there was a CEO in the book that was one of the people that was involved here. You're being thrown in there, and it's almost like a shocking type scenario, like you're trying to find your bearings as as someone that's in this situation. And as, and as a reader, Sabella kind of keeps you, you know, wobbling a little bit, trying to figure out what's going on here, and then something gets thrown at you. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily get explained, but again, look at their situation in this book. It's not getting explained for them either, and this is actually part of the writing too. They're wondering what's going on and how certain people know certain things and how certain things are really coming across. This is all happening for them in real time. And as a writer, Sabella is dropping us into this world real time as well. So normally I would say, you know, if something's all over the place and you're not getting a lot of information, that that is to the detriment of the book. But I think in this case, and this is just the vibe that I got from this, is that that might be the whole point of this story. Why not put the reader in the shoes of the characters, not just the main character, who is a soldier, by the way, not just the main character, but all the other characters around them that have no idea what's going on, have no idea what they're doing and why this is happening to them. Put the reader in that situation. That's not something you really get a whole lot of. And there are, I mean, there's various other professions in this, and we kind of see a little bit of a climax at the end of this book that's going to carry us into the next issue. So, and, and the and the art's pretty darn good too. The art's a little manic as well by Hayden Sherman, and I say that in a complimentary way. That is not at all a, a criticism, but it's very much a sign of what you're dealing with in this book. It's just very, it's just, it's so, I, it's hard to describe really, other than saying you just feel out of you just feel off balance, I guess is the best way that I could put it. And I mean that in a good way. I think that this is a book that if that's what they're going for, they succeeded greatly. So I'm going to give this a pickup for now. I do think that I'd like to see the art overall get, get a little bit stronger as we go. And hopefully as things settle down in this story, if they settle down, Everything will become a little bit clearer. I know that you have to answer these questions. Eventually, this is not something you have to answer in issue one. They tell you what's going they tell you, you know, what's going on as far as the cryonics are concerned and who the main character is, but you don't really get much beyond that. And for this first issue anyway, I think that that's a good thing. So only time will tell if that's a good thing for the rest of this book going forward. But for now, my head's still spinning from reading Cold War number one, so I'm not sure what's going to be coming up in this week, this week in Geek Tama. We'll find out next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jessica Lucas from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you're a fan of the show, you know how big of a John Constantine fan that I am. So when I saw John Constantine was coming to DC's Legends of Tomorrow, did you really think... I was going to let this week go by and not talk about that. So let's talk about Daddy Darkest 
from Legends of Tomorrow. And what's funny is, is it's not just about Constantine here. There was a lot more going on than that. You had Amaya and her granddaughter and that whole drama. By the way, we're going to have some spoilers in this, so just keep that in mind. If you haven't seen the episode Daddy Darkest yet, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. But we had that and the revelation where she said, well, you know, I was supposed to protect the person that had the, the totem. Maybe it's you I was supposed to protect. And you have that whole revelation and everything that goes down there. And then you also had the byplay between Zari and Ray and Ray Palmer and trying to help the girl, which ends up being Damien Dark's daughter, by the way. And that's who John Constantine is there to help as well, trying to get rid of the demon Mollus, who, if you remember, John Constantine saved Sarah Lance's soul as well. So there's a little bit of a connection there. And apparently Sarah is connected to this demon and she went over into the spirit world. You saw that on the show already if you've you've been watching the show. So here's the deal. I'm not going to go into the entirety of the episode. Just going to hit a few points here. First of all, before I even get to the Constantine stuff, how about Rory just watching football almost the entire episode, but then he breaks into leader mode. Did you see that when when he was kind of giving out orders there? I actually like that. And I never actually thought of Mick Rory in that role, because why would you? And then you remember, well, he was Kronos with the Time Masters and all that stuff. And, you know, it's not like he hasn't had a somewhat of a kind of role. You may be enforcer slash he has those leadership qualities and you don't even know they're there until they were kind of forced out of him. I'm not saying he's going to be taking over the Wave Rider anytime soon, but it was just funny to see that. And then, of course, you have the just amazing scenes that Katie Lotz and Matt Ryan had together. Sarah Lance and John Constantine just have this chemistry together, not just because, you know, they had uh, their fun, in a manner of speaking, in this episode, but just every scene that they had together, it's almost like if you could get a team this team up more often with John Constantine and Sarah Lance, that's a show I would watch the hell out of because they just work so well together. And then you've got Wentworth Miller in there, as Leonard Snart, or Leo in this case, and that just worked as well. It, it wasn't a third wheel type of scenario. He just fit in so well, and then of course you've got John flirting with him at one point, so it's just John Constantine, you, you almost felt like when you heard that he was coming to Legends of Tomorrow that it was almost like a square peg and a round hole, right? Because it doesn't seem like the two worlds would cross, but this was the probably the most intense and darkest episode of Legends of Tomorrow because you've got Mollus who's taking control of Damien Dark's daughter and it turns out that's what Damien Dark wants because that's what's going to bring him back permanently and the insane asylum that she's locked up in is actually of course part of Damien Dark and they're going to help her use Malice to bring her father back and this whole deal and we see her kind of go with her dad and I guess that she's going to give in so it just it's not out of the realm of what's be of what is dealt with Constantine. The only bummer is is that this isn't going to continue throughout the rest of the season. We definitely haven't seen the last of John Constantine on Legends of Tomorrow. We know that from set photos and things like that. But I would have liked to have seen them moving to when you move to Monday. You know, you pick up with a little bit of something different, kicking off your your second half of the season here, essentially. You know, bring in Constantine. Bring in somebody a little bit special. I mean, they brought in Wentworth Miller, which they hadn't had there in a while and in a different role, so that was different. Union exit firestorm kind of thing. So there are some changes, but 
you know, what do you need to, to cause a little bit of a distraction from Firestorm leaving the show? Bring in John Constantine. It just seems like it makes sense to me. But I do like that they're not focusing on the fact that Firestorm isn't there anymore. We've kind of moved on from that. The fact that Jax and Professor Stein aren't there anymore. I mean, there was a little wink and a nod to it. But at the same time, it's not a focus and a burden on the team. And I'm glad that they're not really doing that. And in Zari very much doing her social activist thing when she takes Dark's daughter out of the hospital and she says, you know, hey, I've been in these places before. They don't help you. Let's take her out. And you know it's a bad idea. Everybody knew it was a bad idea, just like Amaya talking to her granddaughter. That was a spectacularly bad idea, but their instincts took over and they did did it anyway. And this is, goes back to the whole theme of Legends of Tomorrow. It's the lovable screw-ups, you know, like their heart's in the right place, but the execution isn't always there. But once things kind of round themselves out, the best result ends up happening anyway. So it's just a matter of how they're going to get there. And I've seen the complaints online about, you know, the show's getting stale. Maybe they need to replace it. Maybe we need to have a different group. Maybe a Legion of Superheroes because that's going so well on Supergirl. But I'm like, no, you know what? Legends of Tomorrow is a different show in the DC lineup. And not that those wouldn't be, but it's almost like their unintentional comedy is DC's Legends of Tomorrow, but now they're playing it a little bit more seriously. But you've got John Constantine, so that makes you not lose that comedy because, you know, John's always good for a quip or two, and Matt Ryan is so spectacular. You want to talk You want to talk about how thankful I am that a guy like Matt Ryan, who could have ditched this character a long time ago, has fallen in love with this character and wanted to stick with it, and now we're getting the Constantine animated series on CWC that should be coming soon. They're, they've, they're wrapping that up in the next few weeks, according to Matt Ryan. And then also you've got, the, we have them in the Justice League Dark animated movie from Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment. This is a guy that when the show was canceled could have given up on the John Constantine character, but has just done so much to try and keep it alive. And, and he's going to cons and things like that. And it, it just shows that even though the ratings weren't good for this episode, people still love this character. I just feel like people have unnecessarily given up on Legends of Tomorrow. But, I mean, there could be new life for the show. I know that uh, some fans of the show that do like it are worried about it because, you know, CW's ordering all these pilots and where's the show going to land and where is it going to end up? Well, CW is adding Sunday nights coming up this fall. They are going to add an extra day of programming, so now they'll have six days instead of five. So that alone could actually end up saving DC's Legends of Tomorrow. But, I mean... I can, I can tell you that there's times where I've kind of, that's not the first show I'll watch, or I'll let a couple of them pile up before I catch up on the DVR or something like that, but it's a show that once I do watch it, I always enjoy it. And is it my favorite show in the DC lineup? Absolutely not, but it's one that I always enjoy when I see it. Now, I'm not the biggest Damian Dark fan, I think that that's well documented on the show, but... It seems a little bit different this time. It seems like he's got a little bit more of an edge to him. You bring the daughter in, and you know how terrifying she ends up being once you see her all grown up. So here's the deal. It's almost like they're tra- this is them upping their game on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. This is them really giving it a try and bringing in Constantine. For Constantine fans like myself, that was exactly the right thing to do and definitely got my attention. I mean, look, I'm talking about it on the show this week. Not that it's not justified, but... That's what I'm talking about this week because of John Constantine, and it ended up being an overall pretty darn good episode in itself. So 
definitely very interested to see where Legends of Tomorrow is going to go from here and how Constantine will be brought back. Now, in case you're wondering, hey, where's our review of Black Panther? That's going to be on episode 202, so that's next week's show. Going to be talking about our spoiler-filled review of the Black Panther movie. But up next, some nerd news to get to and a couple of trailers that dropped this week. We'll kick it off with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're heading back to the Winter Olympics, kind of, because it's time for nerd news. And I say that because the trailer for The Incredibles 2 was actually released during the Winter Olympics this past week. And first of all, why you choose to air a trailer that you've been promoting forever at like 11 o'clock Eastern doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I digress because it has nothing to do with the trailer. Now, basically, without giving you a a point-by-point telling you what happened in the trailer because I'm sure you've seen it. I got to be honest, something felt just a little off or familiar for me. I don't know. It just didn't, It I wasn't wowed by it. Not that you, you expect to be wowed by any sequel trailer, but I mean, you have the whole, okay, a lot, superheroes are now illegal and there's a rich guy that's trying to bring them back. And clearly from the trailer, you can even tell that there's going to be something fishy about this guy, and we'll find that out later on in the movie, I'm sure. So you've got Frozone, Elastigirl, and Mr. Incredible, and it looks like Elastigirl is the one that kind of gets chosen as the first super to go out in the field. So that leaves Mr. Incredible to take care of Jack-Jack and the kids. And then you get the whole, okay, Dad has to take stay home and take care of the kid, and you find out the kid has powers, and... A bunch of funny stuff happens because dad's not used to taking care of them. And it's like, I've kind of seen this before. I mean, yeah, stuff like that can be funny. And yeah, fish out of water type scenario. It can be fun. But I'm I'm just going, you know, I was kind of hoping for something a little bit more original. You know, it just it's it's I feel like I've seen this before. Not that it can't be done differently, because I mean, honestly, I mean, the argument could be we've seen everything before. So what difference does it make? The difference is is that you waited so long to do this, and this is what you're going to do with it. I know that's only a small part of it. It's only one trailer. I get that. I'm sure you know everybody's going to be super at the end of the day. But, I mean, it just seems like an unnecessary part of the story for me. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Or maybe Dad sneaks the baby out and tries to train him. I mean, there's a, there's a thousand different ways that this could go, but it just doesn't feel original. It doesn't feel like something that I was looking forward to this quite a bit. And now I'm like, well, I don't know. And maybe this raises the question of why wait so long to do sequels? And are they really necessary, to be quite honest? So I'm not sure that this is something I'm going to be super excited about. Again, it's just a trailer, so I'm not going to. that's not going to be the final determination for me. So I'll just see what happens from here on out. Now, one thing that did come out that I actually didn't expect to get this this week was the first look at the YouTube Red series, Cobra Kai, which, of course, is the Karate Kid sequel. You want to talk about a sequel that is far removed from anything we've seen before? I mean, we're talking Karate Kid 1. Yeah, Johnny was in the beginning of Karate Kid 2, but not really a big part of the story. So we're still we're talking about this is almost a sequel to Karate Kid 1. Never mind Karate Kid 2, 3, or the Hilary Swank Karate Kid movie. So remember how this was billed? as like a comedy type thing and it was going to be down on his luck Johnny and Daniel with the great life and he opens the Cobra Kai back up okay so Johnny does open up the Cobra Kai but if you look at this trailer 
Did this look funny to you? Didn't look funny to me. And I'm saying that as a good thing. It might be possible that the folks behind YouTube Red were listening to the fans and saying, you know what? Maybe we should just do that. this as a straight action drama type adaptation. And again, one trailer, hard to judge, but it looks like that tense scene where Johnny and Daniel are standing in the Cobra Kai and Daniel's like, why would you do this? And this thing between us, it's not over. And I'm like, yes, it's not over. Thank you very much, YouTube, for understanding what we really want here. And this is what we want. If you're going to do this, give the fans what they want. We want this. So I was more excited by this, and and I never would have expected this, more excited by the Cobra Kai trailer than I was about The Incredibles 2 because you're giving me something that as a fan... I would actually want to see. If you're going to bring back these characters, if you're going to bring back a story that's like 30 years old, give me a reason to want this. And now I have to see where this is going to go. You see the Cobra Kai open back up. You hear the old mantra and you get pumped up as a fan. Maybe if you weren't a huge fan of Karate Kid, you don't care. I understand that. That's fine. But for those of us that are, I'm now pumped for this because it looks like they just might be doing this the way it needs to be done. Speaking of stuff that I used to be a fan of when I was younger, The Greatest American Hero was always one of my favorites. And you know the reboot is coming back. And according to The Hollywood Reporter, we have our female-led first Greatest American Hero. And it's going to be Hannah Simone, who, of course, you might remember playing Cece on New Girl. Now, the character is going to be named Mira. And she's a 30-year-old woman kind of searching for meaning in her life. And she's entrusted with the super suit to help protect the planet. And, of course, there you know things kind of go awry from there. Now, this is going to be from the minds of Fresh Off the Boat. That's the creators that are going to be working on the project. Now, first of all, this show's not a guarantee. Absolutely 100% not a guarantee. They're just going to shoot a pilot and see what happens from there. But, I mean, Hannah Simone, she's, you know, with New Girl Ending, looking for a new project... And I think that comedically, she definitely has the chops for this. And she kind of has a little bit of an edge to her, a little bit of an attitude. If you've never seen New Girl before, this is something that will suit her very, very well. And they're going to and she is going to be part of an Indian American family on the show, which will be really, really good as well. So I think that this could be a good angle. Sure, it's a little bit different of an angle than the original Greatest American Hero. I'm, I'm actually OK with that. I think that's a good thing. I mean, when you when you had uh, William Cat who had the suit, got the super suit, and he's a teacher, and he loses the manual, if, if I remember correctly, and he has to kind of figure it out on the fly, how to use the suit, and that's how bad things start to happen. I mean, maybe the Hand of Simone series will do the same thing, so I don't mind that that much, but at the same time, I like that you're giving me a little bit of, an, of a different story than you did with the original series, because, I mean, if you did a straight-up adaptation again, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know why you would do that. So doing it like this, giving it a fresh modern take, I think this is something that can actually work for ABC. Maybe, you know, spice up the genre of superhero TV shows a little bit, make something a little bit different. I think that's what us as fans are kind of searching for. We're searching for something that's still in that realm, that, but that's also a little bit different. So Greatest American Hero, I think it could actually work out. Can't wait to see a first trailer for it. And finally, we have another anime and manga adaptation coming to Netflix. Hold your breath on this one because Sword of Art, excuse me, Sword Art Online is going to be coming to Netflix in a live action form. Now, Laita Caligridis was sitting down with Collider talking about Altered Carbon, and she's going to helm the project. 
And she made it very clear that these will be Asian actors playing these roles. This is not going to be whitewashed. So there is that, at least. And now, if anybody who's not familiar with Sword Art Online, basically it follows a boy named Kirito, who gets trapped within, with a thousand other gamers, by the way, in the virtual reality game Sword Art Online, and they have to kind of band together to defeat the final level to escape. But of course, you know, it's not that simple. There's more to it than that. Not going to go into any spoiler territory there. So, again, as an anime fan or a manga fan, you maybe say, okay, why do this? Why would you do this? Obviously, you want more of the content that you love, but you have to have a sour taste in your mouth, right, after Ghost in the Shell and, and maybe Death Note as well. Maybe you've got a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, but you know what? Maybe this is Netflix's shot at redemption. I think that Netflix thought they had something great with Death Note, and I thought they figured that fans were really, really going to go for it, and when that didn't happen, Netflix saw that as a failure. And Netflix really just disliked to take failure sitting down, so I think that they wanted their opportunity to make good on it, and Sword Art Online might be that project that they're going to use to make it good. So I think that Netflix is one company that's proven that they kind of learn from their mistakes. And I actually think that this is something that could work. I mean, the subject matter is certainly good enough, right? So obviously, good story or not, you want to have a good cast in order for this to be successful. So I'm sure the search is on already. But this is one to me that I think could definitely pique interest because, again, it's it's something a little bit different. You draw gamers in. You draw anime fans in. And, of course, just nerds like us in general. And when it's in Netflix on Netflix, you tend to want to check it out a little bit more, I think, because it's a little bit easier, and you probably, you're probably going to have the whole series to binge there anyway, so... I like this. I, I like the fact that you know you can you can find anime on Netflix, and then Netflix is going to try to bring live action versions of this. But if this one doesn't work, I got to tell you, if this one doesn't work, we need to really seriously think about not doing any of these anymore, unless they're actually coming from Japan. Because I, I don't know that this is a good idea to keep doing this if this one fails. No matter how much you try, let's see if this one actually works out. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, going to be talking to a bunch of DC Comics creators, writers, and artists that's here next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. For one final time, I'm going to head back to my trip in Washington, D.C. at DC and DC 2018 because I realized that we hadn't heard from so many of the great comic book creators that I had gotten a chance to talk to there. So let's throw them all in one show and make it a DC Comics special this week. And let's kick it off with Shay Fontana, who, of course, of DC Superhero Girls, and Agnes Garbowska, who also works on that, and Mariko Tamaki, who's worked on Supergirl being super, and some stuff for DC Zoom and DC Inc., which are the new young adult graphic novel imprints. Now, this was before that was announced. So I kind of thought, and, you know, looking back, that this question that I asked to the ladies was seems kind of appropriate now, so here's what they said. How do you feel about what DC does? Of course, you start off with DC Superhero Girls, you start them off young, and then you did Supergirl being super, which was more of a teenage type story, and then you move into the adult stuff. Do you think DC's doing a really good job of doing that step-by-step process of going from childhood to adulthood with their books? I don't think I think of it that way. I think of telling good stories. So, I like writing a lot of the kids' stuff. I like the target age that DC Superior Girls is for and I think you know 
comics, how many titles does DC put out every month? They better have something for everyone. So I think we, that's the only way the comic industry is going to survive and grow. Yeah. Also, I think, you know, it's like, YA isn't for kids completely. I mean, how many, when you go to like a Harry Potter party, everyone's like 40. <laughs> This is only for these people. I mean, I I'm a huge fan of the Lumberjanes. Technically, the Lumberjanes yes, is for yeah. you know like middle grade. So I think it's about being true to that age, not necessarily for that audience. Yeah. Writing smart stories. Like we we're mentioning, we we're talking about the next table. It's kids understand a lot more than you think. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And they could read the smart stories. And when you write books, like with Shadows with DC Superheroes, are really smart. She's writing this for that age thing, but she's writing it that if you're someone else reading it, you could still enjoy it because it's a good story. It's a fun story. And when you focus on that, you could get all different types of audience. And that's what the market needs right now. It needs different audiences. We can't just be gearing towards the exact same people because it's not totally. going to grow. So DC's being really smart right now. They're like, okay, what don't we have? What do we think people want? And they're actually giving them what different stuff. Now you could have kids and adults and teens, everyone reading something. That, yeah, that's what, that was my point. Yeah. Yeah. Next, I sit down with the amazing Marguerite Bennett and Vada Ayala. And I asked Marguerite what it was like to work with Batwoman and does she deserve a little bit more Exposure. We've actually been working with Batwoman more recently. Is it good to kind of give her a little bit more exposure? Because I actually feel like she's one of those characters. I mean, actually, Detective Comics, she had a big role as well. So, how does it feel to finally kind of push her out into the forefront? Oh, it's so wonderful. And getting to work with James is honestly delightful. Like, he has been my brother in comics before I was technically in comics. Um, so, no, it's like, you know, it's it's great. We go out to a Mediterranean restaurant, order some wine, and work out, you know, what's yeah. going to be with Batwoman for the next six months. Oh, man. That office is amazing. I know. It's a good process. <laughs> now, you know DC has their talent development workshop where they bring in different writers and artists and kind of help them move up. So I asked Vita Ayala about that and how important it was. You were actually part of the creator development workshop that DC's doing right now. How important was that for you to be able to get that guidance? Do you feel like they've been pretty forthcoming with stuff that you would like to do? I think it was incredibly important. Um, I think that there is no one way to break into comics and no one way to break into DC. In fact, it is as individual as anyone in particular, but having the ability to ask of editors, of other pros, of all of these behind the scenes people how things worked and why they worked was incredibly useful. And also, we got to workshop. It was a workshop. So you went in with people and, you know, they very kindly picked apart your story to show you where the weak points are and why, you know, when going forward and writing a book like you were writing, you would want to change those things. And you learn how to take notes. It's, it's vitally important. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know it was like a legit workshop. Yeah, workshop. It was just like I can't be super specific, but That's like cool. it was it was incredible and we were the we were the prototype, right? So we were the wild ones. We were the first ones. So it was a much larger class and like they were kind of figuring stuff out. But even then I know people in the subsequent classes and seeing the refinement. I it's incredible. I'm so glad that it's a program that happens. Next up, the wonderful Julian Shauna Benson. And if you saw the video on our Twitter page, at Down Nerdy757 on Twitter, where Julie kind of teased a character that they might be writing at some point for DC. She couldn't talk about it, so I asked about the book that they could talk about because they're writing it. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey and a very particular issue of that book. Talk about the characters that you are writing in yeah. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. You just had an arc that was I thought was really great where oh, cool. only the men could get sick. Oh, the manslaughter arc. Yeah, yeah. 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 
it was Sorry, so guys. Cool because you got to take not just the the yeah. heroes of the female world, you got to take the villain yes. female, and you've got Wonder Woman in there. How cool is that to like bring everybody together for that like common so goal? Cool. It was uh, that's that's the dream, right? I mean, on the hundred, we have a huge ensemble show. We have so many characters. And it's a good thing. I roll my eyes in love because I'm so glad we have that it's, many, it's but so it is a hard. lot of characters. It's and hard. so then you're writing Birds of Prey and you got three. And you're like, okay, this is fun because we're telling, what if we made it bigger? Like, what? how would they interact with Wonder Woman? Do they know each other? What's the continuity? Um, but why do we need those, those characters? And what are they bringing to the table was also really important. So their skill sets were all individually sort of selected for that story. And giving the villain, quote unquote, the villain, Poison Ivy, the sort of heroic moment at the end of realizing how to make the serum, I think it's so important to just show that at the base level, even the villains are human, and they care about making sure that 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 playing ground is that, that playground is fair. And so when we told DC we had the idea and, and we started, I mean, the list was two times bigger. Who we want? We wanted Supergirl. We wanted it. Hot girl. We wanted everybody. We wanted. Where's Barda? Oh, you can't use Barda. Why? We had a list, you guys, but they were great in that they said you can use all of these because of continuity. It had nothing to do with anything else but um what a what a excite it was so hard though because we should have made that arc another issue i feel just to give them time to actually that would have been awesome oh, it was so tough to do that in three but uh, we tried to give them each a moment we tried to make sure we paired them up individually like uniquely interesting um, pairings yeah. i mean we actually went through and like separated out a b c teams yeah. and we're like okay who do we want on which squad yeah, you're gonna mix of, it you up know, it was Put really fun. characters together. So when the TV show happens, we can do that episode. Yeah. yeah. And showrunners too, by the way, right? Yeah. yeah. We will happily take that job. Yeah. Since we are talking about comics here, I also got to chat with Jason Inman, who of course is part of DC All Access, and he actually does something very important that involves the military and comics, and I asked him about it. Check this out if you don't know about it. You talked in the panel, and I'd actually known about this previously, about the comics that you send to the troops in that program. When did that all get started, and how important is that just as a personal project for you? Uh, I started that three years ago, so this is the third year that it's been successful, and three years ago I really wanted to do something that was a charity for soldiers, but I honestly didn't have any clue how to even start a charity, so I thought the simplest thing to do was to partner with a company that was already helping troops, and then like sort of sneak in the back door. Um, now I've only done it with Operation Gratitude, uh, which is a program that sends care packages to troops for two years. The first year I did it with an organization that was called Comics for Soldiers, which is basically the same idea I had. Um, but we overwhelmed the organization in the first year, so much so that they told us to stop sending comic books, which is the reason why I went to Operation Gratitude, because they have a giant warehouse, and they're just like, keep it coming, keep it coming. For me, it was, I really um, wanted to do something really good, and I wanted to do something charitable, because there are certain times in our lives, I think, that where it really makes a difference if you do something good, um, instead of just me, 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 look at my thing, look at my thing, please look at my thing, uh, which is like, I've been on your side of the table, like it's, we, we all get there, right? We're all like, oh, come on, click. Please click, you know? Um, so, it's, so it's nice to be like, no, 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 go help this person. Go help that person. Um, 
And it's been so, it surprised me how successful it's been that it's led me to looking into other avenues to sort of make it, or a version of this, a monthly thing. Now that's pipe dream way off down the line, but that, that's the origination of the comic drive for soldiers. It's always great to talk to one of my favorite people in comics, Tom King, and I asked him about Mr. Miracle and the relationship between Scott and Barta, and I loved his answer. So you've been getting a lot of attention for Mr. Miracle, and rightfully so lately. And That's very one of the things that I love about it, especially in the last couple of issues, is the relationship between Scott and, and Big Barda. Because it's almost like you're giving him someone to help him deal with that trauma and vice versa. Was that kind of something that you wanted to do in this story? I mean, absolutely, and I, th I think, I mean, there's two effects of that. Number one, I mean, the, Mr. Miracle is a love letter to Jack Kirby, and I, if, if, if you know anything about Kirby's life, his wife, Roz, was that for me. Kirby was a veteran who went through a, a combat veteran, um, and, and, and Roz helped him with that, and, and, the, and the basis of Barda is Roz, right? Like, that's what, who Barda was. That's who Kirby created to be, to be his wife. And, um, and also, I'm not a very original writer. Like, I just write what's sort of I know, and, and, and uh, I happen to be like madly in love with my wife and she sort of helped me get through all of my trauma and uh, so I'm just putting that in a comic and uh, and hoping it'll help other people sort of see some of themselves in the whole thing and my wife was yelling at me the other day because she, she's, she's like you're, you're taking exactly what I say and putting it in a damn comic book and I'm not seeing any of the paychecks and I was like oh I don't you have all the codes to the bank accounts I don't have any uh, uh, so my I, I steal from my life and I, I steal from my wife is basically Next up is the guy that works with Tom King, artist Mitch Garretts, of course, worked with him on Mr. Miracle and Sheriff of Babylon. And if you've read either of those books, you know that there's those blank panels where it just says bang or it just says dark side is. So I asked Mitch about that and the message that it brings across to the reader. You were talking about the panels where it's dark side is and Mr. Miracle or Sheriff of Babylon was, was the bang and how that makes the reader do something. Just talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Repeat that. So the, the true power behind those black panels with the white words is that it stops the reader. Again, it's, it's you get to control progression of time. Uh, so in Sheriff of Babylon, the first time we come across that is a little girl getting shot in the head. Uh, and so instead of showing that, where a reader could see it and just move past it, or even in a more terrible aspect, they see it and they snicker to themselves because we've been programmed as a society that violence is an action movie, uh, we get to stop the read. They get to read bang, and they get to just feel that impact rather than see it and move on. They're now seeing it in their head. They're thinking of every emotion that they could go through in that one moment, and we get to move on. And same with Dark Side is, is we get to have some occurrence and then just stop the reader, and now they have to ponder Dark Side is. And that's scary as hell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love getting to sit down with writers or artists and just talk with them about the books that they're working on and their process and just everything that they do but it's also nice in this instance to get to talk to several different writers and artists at the same time and you don't understand how much talent a publisher has until they're all in the room at the same time so i mean you look at like julian shauna benson and marguerite bennett tom king mitch garrett's i mean there's so many there and you go wow these are so many great books with so many great creators it's insane, and that's one thing that, it quite quite honestly, that DC is doing, not just since Rebirth. I think that that's always been something 
that DC has done, but especially since Rebirth, it just seems like everything fits so well. And that's why I was so glad to get a chance to talk to some of these amazing creators, and hopefully you enjoyed it as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to DC Comics and Warner Brothers for DC and DC 2018 and the colleagues that I got to work with there. Appreciate it. Can't wait to do it again next year. Hopefully there's another DC and DC 2018. If you want to find out some of those other shows from DC and DC 2018 you might have missed, of course you can go to our website, downandnerdypodcast.com where you can find past shows. Also find out more about what's going on with these this week's show. You want to buy the comics that we reviewed, that's going to be an option there. Also you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. But you know what I say, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. And be good to your fellow nerds.